We're pregnant. Bro, do you even live? I can't eat another one. One is usually bigger than the other. It tastes awful. It hurt a Wait, bit. Why is it leaking? Did you that? That was not awful. there yesterday. I have a second of it's totally my natural Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the rest of us a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body, its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's Let's do do this. this. Not long ago, we reached out to the folks at the Simple Health Radio podcast to pick their brains about whether or not you can treat burns with butter. The idea of putting butter on burns is almost as old as butter itself, but it still lives in that uncertain land of home remedies, so we wanted to learn more about whether it actually does any good. Luckily, we did not have to wait long for answers because Dr. Imran, the host of Simple Health Radio, got back to us pretty quickly with follow-up. And boy, did he deliver. Dr. Imran answered our question about treating burns with butter during a recent episode of his show, But on top of that, he also provided all kinds of really useful information about types of burns and the ways that doctors examine them and things you can consider if you think yours might be developing into a scar. We appreciated Dr. Imran's Butter Burns episode so much that we're going to share it with you right now. Before we start, though, we'll just tell you that while Dr. Imran's episode is thorough and informative, it doesn't involve gory details or scary mental pictures, so you can go ahead and feel free to finish that sandwich. I'm here to commence audio of Simple Health Radio. Today's question comes to us from Terrell Jackson, who is the host of Health Science for the Rest of Us podcast. Terrell sent in a question about burns, so let's have a listen. Hi, Dr. Amron. This is Terrell of the Health Science for the Rest of Us podcast. I have a question for you. The question is, is it true that you can treat burns with butter? First, let me thank Terrell for taking the time to record a great question about burns. When I see people in the ER or the urgent care and they've suffered a burn, I actually have to identify several different factors immediately before I can begin treatment. So the first thing I need to know is what caused the burn. For example, was it from touching a hot object like a stove? Was it a chemical burn like from a battery or a radiator? Was it a sunburn from being outside too long? Is it a scalding burn where hot water spilled everywhere in the kitchen? Or was it an explosion? So the first thing I need to know is what caused the burn before I can actually start treating it. The second thing I need to know is exactly what part of the body was affected. So it makes a difference if it was a hand, or the face, or the neck, or even a joint. 
and then we have to actually measure the burn size, the length and the width, in centimeters. And this is so that we can calculate accurately something called the total body surface area. So the total body surface area is a measurement that we need to know to identify exactly how much of the body was affected. Now, medically speaking, we use a rule of nines. So what that means is we can divide the body into different segments based on percentages of nine. For example, each arm is about 9% of the total body surface area. The abdominal area would be about 18% of the total body surface area, and each leg is about 18%. So, for example, if we had somebody who had a scald burn in the kitchen, or maybe an explosion, and it affected both arms and a large part of their abdominal area, I can already estimate. It's about 9% for each arm, and then about 18% for the abdominal area. So we've already exceeded about 40% of the total body surface area. That affects the treatment for complex burns. The skin is a barrier. So we need to remember that the skin is in place to keep our inside parts separate from the outside world. And so when large percentages of the skin are affected, that means the outside world is actually going to get inside the body and that's going to set up complications. So once we identified the history from the patient about what happened, we've measured the anatomical area, then we talk about the depth. So the depth is where we assign the severity of the burn. So whether it's a first degree, second degree, third degree, or fourth degree. And this is something that it can be very confusing because you can have a burn, for example, that affects over half the body, but it doesn't go very deeply. So it's actually a first degree burn, but it covers a large area of the total body surface area. So the most common type of a first degree burn is a sunburn. So a sunburn affects only the epidermis, which is the outermost layer of skin. Technically, it's all dead skin, so that's why we consider it a first-degree burn. After a few days, people who've had a sunburn, they'll describe the skin to peel and it'll go away, and then there's no scar tissue that develops underneath it because it never went deeper than just the outermost layer. So a first-degree burn, the most common type, is a sunburn. Now, a second-degree burn goes through the epidermis and touches the dermis, also called a dermal layer. So in this area, you're going to have a large number of nerve endings. So for example, if you touch a hot stove with your fingers, it's going to blister and it's going to become a second degree burn. Even though it's only affected the fingertips, that's about 1% of the total body surface area. But it could be a very severe burn because it's a second degree burn based on depth. Now a third degree or a fourth degree burn goes deeper and deeper into the body. So these burns go through the muscle and sometimes even to the bone. With a fourth degree burn, you're gonna have charred flesh. These people oftentimes need to be hospitalized. Perhaps they were in a house fire or maybe a car accident where something exploded. So the flames overwhelm the body and those people are going to be having serious complications. Oftentimes they require surgery. They may need amputations, but they oftentimes need careful monitoring in the intensive care unit. So these are people that you can't just send home. You have to monitor them for all the complications that we talked about and some of the new ones that we're going to mention in just a minute. So now that we've talked about the classification of burns, we can answer the question that was sent in by Terrell. Can you treat burns with butter? And that answer is no. I did research this. I went through several medical journals. I went through some of our textbooks and I looked at some information about burns. And it's true that in the past, people have tried using butter as a burn ointment. But with all the research that's been done, the burn that is treated with butter actually has worse complications. So the people described more pain, 
there was a higher risk of infection, and there was no benefit at all to healing. So the short answer for using butter on burns is don't do it. It's not going to help whether it's a first degree, second degree, or a third degree burn. Just avoid that. Now, what things have been studied and proven to help? So the first thing is actually just cool water, especially tap water. You don't want to use ice water or freezing cold water. Just cool water from the tap is sufficient. What you want to do is run the water over the burn site. If it's a superficial burn or even a sunburn, it's going to help because after about 10 or 15 minutes, it'll actually calm down some of the inflammation. And this also helps to cleanse the wound. So if you use a very mild soap with water, you're going to remove some of the surface bacteria and that'll reduce your risk of infection. The second treatment option that works are just cool compresses. For example, if you have a towel under cool water, you can apply that to the burn site as a wet dressing. And if you do that for five or 10 minutes, a couple of times a day, that's actually as effective as using other ointments. Now people do use antibiotic ointments, things like Neosporin or Bacitracin, and you can apply that to a burn with a very light dressing. So you can keep it covered to prevent infection, but you don't want anything too tight. If you apply a very tight dressing, it causes some skin breakdown, and that doesn't help the burn to heal properly. You actually have to let burns breathe. You do need some open air on them from time to time. Now aloe vera has been studied, and that has been shown to help. So a small amount of aloe on a first or second degree burn is actually anti-inflammatory, and it helps to promote blood circulation. So aloe vera is recommended. One of the newer treatments that's being used in wound care centers is actually a very ancient treatment. So this is called honey. So many burn centers now use honey as a topical antibacterial agent, and it's actually antifungal as well. Now, I don't recommend that you put honey on burns at home until you've spoken to, or spoken to a doctor or talked to them in detail because you may not be using it properly. So don't use it at home until you see a doctor about that. But if you read about it enough, you will find that honey is having a large amount of research behind it to support its use in more and more patients, especially burn victims. Now, the other questions that we often get are regarding scarring. And scarring is cosmetically very disfiguring, but it can also cause pain. And so people who develop pain associated with burns, it's all because of the nerves that are now exposed. So again, we talked about first degree burns are very superficial. Within a few days or a week, that's going to heal. There's not going to be any long-term complications. But with second and third degree burns, you're going to have pain, swelling, and oftentimes blister formation as well. So the blister fluid is actually healthy. It's a sterile fluid. There's no infection in the blister fluid itself. What you don't want to do is open it up prematurely. So if you poke at it with your fingernail or you use a needle to puncture it, you've created an opportunity for bacteria to sneak in and now they're going to fester inside of that blister area. So this can lead to a boil or an abscess or cellulitis and this is going to be the complication that we're trying to prevent. So don't pop blisters. If there is a blister, leave it alone. Do the warm compresses like we talked about above, which is cool compresses, and do cool water as necessary. You can use soap and water in the shower, but very gently. If the blister opens up on its own, that's great. That means the body was prepared for it to heal. But if you prematurely open it up, it's going to cause complications. The blisters actually protect the burn, and it allows the new skin to grow underneath, which is the dermal layer. So the longer the blister stays on top, the healthier that burn actually becomes. Now the risk of scarring also goes down as long as there's a covering, so that body's own blistering or that layer of skin actually reduces scar formation. Now there are a couple of things that you do need to keep in mind. 
So people who've had a burn, whether it's a second degree, third degree burn, and they go out in the sun, the sunlight actually preferentially absorbs into the wound itself. So this means people who've had a burn, if they go outside in the midday sun, the scar that forms is going to be darker than the surrounding area. It's almost like an absorbing type of material, a sponge. The problem is if you have fair skin and you have a burn and you go outdoors, that area of skin is going to be permanently darker than the surrounding tissue. So you actually need to avoid the direct sun whenever possible after a burn. You need to wear long sleeves or long pants, and you do need to use some type of sunscreen to protect a burn. And that may not be obvious, but that's actually necessary. Now the second thing is that you need to update your tetanus vaccination. So tetanus is a bacteria. It lives in dirt, it lives on metal, and it lives outdoors. So if you've had any type of a wound due to a burn that occurred outdoors, you have a risk of contracting tetanus. Now most people get their tetanus boosters periodically. Most people get them either freshman or sophomore year of high school, and then about every five or 10 years after that. Many people update it when they travel. So if they're going to Mexico or Europe, or they start a new job, or they work in healthcare, they're usually gonna be on top of it. They're gonna get that updated. But if you don't remember when your last tetanus booster was, you may wanna think about getting one today but definitely get a tetanus booster after a burn. Because again, tetanus is a bacteria that contaminates wounds and people who develop tetanus can actually die. So we take that very seriously. It is a preventable infection as long as you get your tetanus booster. Now there's some complications you could keep in mind. If there's oozing from the burn site, smell, if there's fever, if the skin edges don't look right, even when they're healing, then definitely you need to see a doctor. Whether your doctor or an urgent care or an ER, take a photograph of it, discuss it with them. They're probably gonna put you on a prescription antibiotic and some other dressings, and they may also refer you to a wound care center. There are many specialized burn care centers across the country, and they do amazing work. Some of the burns that become infected or they have complications require grafting. So grafting involves taking healthy skin from a different part of the body and actually stitching it onto the burn site. So grafting of skin is a cosmetically appealing way to manage very bad burns, especially in areas that are cosmetically sensitive, places like the face or the top of the hand or the neck. So it's important to get connected with the right specialist as soon as possible. So honey, who knew? I knew. Right. Anyway, if you liked Dr. Imran's take on burns, we encourage you to check out some of his other episodes including the one about fried rice syndrome and any of the ones where Dr. Imran answers health and medical questions sent in by other listeners. In order to find him, just visit him at simplehealthradio.com or search for Simple Health Radio in your favorite podcast app. We are pretty sure you will not be disappointed. We would like to give a special thanks to Dr. Amron and the team at the Simple Health Radio podcast for their permission to use their audio for this episode. Please tell the other humans to listen to the podcast so I don't have to go back to my day job. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, stop by our website 
at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42 Tower Beam Sunshine Strain. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My apologies. www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds?